So I'll throw a little test out there for you this morning. If I told you to turn to the wedding chapter, where do you think I would be telling you to turn to? Anybody? 1 Corinthians 13. And that would be correct. So if you'll turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're going to talk all about weddings today. First Corinthians chapter 13, if you're taking notes in your manual, it's page 66. Since this is the second sermon on the love for others, you may need to turn into one of the uh, blank pages in the back of your manual so you can take notes there if you're keeping up with your manual. We're going to be reading the chapter, we're going to be reading the wedding chapter. Actually, that was a conversation I had somebody this week, and they were like, uh, oh yeah, the, the wedding chapter. And so here it goes, if I speak in the tongues of men... And of angels, but have not love. I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. But for we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Now, the first point I want to make at is this is not the wedding chapter. All right. And, and so I think it's really important for us to see the context in what the, it often is also called the love chapter. And it is that it, it describes the, uh, we're going to be talking about what it describes as far as love goes. But, but I think it's really, really important for us to understand the context of first Corinthians 13, the, the love chapter. And the way you find out context is you look right what surrounds it, right? What's, what happens before, what's it talking about before it talks about the love chapter. And really, if you turn back to chapter 12, we talked about this uh, a few weeks ago. It's actually page 65 of your manual, which is back one page, coincidentally enough. Uh, and that is uh, the body of Christ. The context for the love chapter, uh, the, the, the last part of chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, is all about being part of the body and the unity of the body and the diversity of the body. And then following the body of Christ is this whole description of love. And so we're in a chapter in our 3D Disciples Manual talking about unity. And those two go really, you know, hand in glove together, the body of Christ and what love is. And, and, and that kind of love, the kind of love that is described in 1 Corinthians 13 is intended to be displayed and experienced in the body of Christ. 
You know, yeah, it'd be great for you to have a marriage this way. This is a good recipe for a good marriage. But this is a recipe and description of what living and being part of the body of Christ is supposed to be like. It is in that context, and I I really believe in some ways, maybe in that context alone, a group of spirit-filled, born-again people whose sole purpose is to do the will of their King Jesus. I think it's in that context, maybe only in that context, that we can ever hope to experience this kind of love. I mean, patient, kind, does not boast, does not arrogant, is not rude, does not insist its own way, is not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice with wrongdoings, but rejoices with the truth, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and never ends. I mean, the church, the body of the Christ, I think is the only place we can ever hope to experience all of that. Because it's going to take transformed lives and a group of people with transformed lives coming together, making others more important than themselves to ever really hope to gain that. And so I think it's really important to see that context because that is what the church and the body of Christ is supposed to be like. So as we move on, here we go. Looking at unity and, again, the love for others, the first thing we learn from this passage is the, the primacy of love. That lo- love is primary, right? It is of the utmost importance, right? It says, if you speak in tongues of men and of angels but don't have love, you're a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If you have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge and have all faith so as to move mountains but have not, have not love, You're nothing. If you give away all you have and deliver up your body to be burned, but you have uh, not love, you gain nothing. So no matter, no knowledge, no no mental capacity, no no work of our faith, no outward doing of action, no, no miraculous powers, nothing is as important as love. And I would say maybe we could flip that around. Maybe you don't have all knowledge and don't know everything. Maybe your faith is weak. Maybe you can't speak in tongues of men and angels. Maybe you don't understand everything. Maybe you struggle to sacrifice, but you have love, then you're something. If we flip that all around and say, I can't do any of that. All I can do is really love people from my heart, then God's going to say, well, then you're something. Because love is primary. It's more important than miracles. It's more important than, than amazing accomplishments. It's more important than any kind of sacrifice you give. Love is primary. And there's three verses I want to share with you today that, that I think really capture that idea. Uh, in 1 John 4, 8, it says this. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So you can't even say you know God if you don't have love, right? See, you can't even claim to be a child of God. You can't even claim to be a disciple if you don't have love because God is love. And if he's moved into your life like he promised, he's bringing love with him. And so it is primary, Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 38 say, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of the lawyers asked him a question to test him. 
teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment and the second's like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself on these two commandments. Depend all the law and the prophets, right? And we've talked about these two great, but he's God, Jesus sums up everything about what God wants in two statements. Love God, love others. That simple. Love God, love others. And the first thing we read said, well, you can't say you love God if you don't love others. And so those two are inseparable. We cannot ever say, hey, I'm a disciple of the God of love and I love God, but I don't love others. No, the love of others is the expression of our love for God because others are also made in the image of God. The most two important things we have to do is love God and love others. And then for our discipleship journey, there's John 13, 5. It says this, By this all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Like, our love is particularly within the body, particularly in that 1 Corinthians 13 within the body of Christ. That is our example to the world. Again, we have talked about this. I've said it over and over, and I'm sorry I keep saying it. But every time I think about it, I'm overcome by how important I think it is. It is the love that the disciples had for one another in the first century that was the convincing argument for the truth of Christianity. When Jews and Gentiles, slaves and free, men and women, people of all types and all sorts started doing everything they could to take care of one another, to look out for one another, to travel from one another's house and eat with each other, when they fellowship with one another, when people who hated each other last week are now walking down the street arm in arm praying with one another, the world goes, what's going on? These Christians are breaking all the rules. They're loving one another. They're breaking all the caste systems. They're taking care of the weak of those. They're getting, uh, you know, the, the kids that were thrown out on the dump pile to die. They're taking those in, those, the, 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 the rejects of the world. They're, they're caring for one another all over the place. We don't know what's going on. It was that love that society could not answer. And you've got to remember, there was lots of prophets. There was lots of messiahs being preached there was lots of miracles supposedly being done there were people traveling all over the country talking about religion and these gods and do this and do that but the thing that set christianity apart was the love they had for one another and that was something i don't believe society and culture could ignore and i believe if we want to impact society and culture again in a world that's divided over absolutely everything we have to recapture that kind of love we have to love in spite of everything we have to get so in love with one another and so in love with God that we can over we can look over what the Bible says that love will cover a multitude of sins right we got to get that love covering so we can love and care and do the things of love so that the world says something's going on there because the rest of us are mad as heck at everybody and these Christians are all loving one another what's going on I think that's the only hope for the world we have today is this kind of love, that kind of love that's described there. And so if love is so important, if, it's, if, 
If what the Bible says here is true, that this is primary, that you can do all you want to but don't have love, you're nothing, then I want us to consider love a little bit more deeply. Like I said in my opening, I found that as cute as my father's little saying was, that, that kind of scratched the surface of what love is. Is love an emotion? Yeah, I think. Maybe, we, maybe we'd be better off if we used other words to describe love. You know, like in the, you, you, you know, Randy taught us um, how like there's at least, there's three words used in the Bible. There was probably four words in the new, in the first century that, that people used to describe different aspects of love, you know. And we just used one basically, you know, I love hamburgers and I love my wife. And I hope those are two different things. But I use the same word, right? You know, and, uh, and you know, I, maybe we should say infatuation love. We, we should broaden our vocabulary when it comes to using and talking about how we are, care about and love things in this world. But I want us to look at at least five viewpoints of love that I think the Bible talks about. Just trying to go deeper than just the emotion. Deeper than what it means when, when God calls us to love. You know, where does that, how does that look? What does that look like? And so first I want you to consider love as a motivation. You know, just from the aspect of motivation. And here's the definition I use. That a true desire for the best for others. I think if you just really tried to sum love, love, what it means to love someone is I want the best for them. I, I have a real heart desire like that that inside of me is wants what is best for the other, and that we're motivated by that. that. That's why we do what we do, is I want the best for you. Um, 1 Corinthians 16, 14 says this, let all that you do be done in love, right? Like this needs to be the motivation of everything we do. I mean, like, if we ask this question, here's what I'm about to do. Is that loving? Is that loving the person that's about to receive it? Is that loving to the world? Is that loving to whatever? Is this, an, is this a motivation? Is my heart desire that this will accomplish some good for others? It would be a really good test for a lot we do. Because here's the truth I've learned. You know, you can do things that are true and honest, but it not be loving. You know, you can tell the truth. You can be honest about something, right, which is a good thing, but you can do that motivated by trying to get at somebody. You can do that as a, as a way of trying to correct somebody. You can do that as a way of trying to one-up somebody. That's not motivated by love, right? You can, you can do uh, acts of kindness to people, right, and still not love them because you're trying to make them feel guilty, trying to make them feel small. You're trying to make them feel, put them in their place, show their, your, your superiority. That we can do a lot of good things and do them motivated by something other than love. And so the question is, what I'm about to do, is it really because I want the best for somebody else? That am I motivated out of love to do these things? Or is there something else kind of pushing me to do this good, even good thing? Consider love 
from the aspect of as an attitude also. So like the motivation of our heart is what drives us to do something. But our attitude is just kind of how we approach life, right? You know, we, we have our personalities, our attitudes, and, and that's kind of the overarching way we live life. And, and if we live, if we have an attitude of love, I think it's just a, a willingness to go to great lengths and personal risk and loss for their best, okay? So it starts out with the, I want the best for them. Now I have this attitude, this guiding principle that I'm willing to go to great lengths. I'm willing to face personal risk and personal loss so that I can accomplish that best thing for the other. And so it becomes this attitude. 2 Corinthians uh, verses 15 and 14 says this, for the love of Christ controls us. We have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And we, and he died for all. And those who might, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. He's like, Christ died for us. And he died for all. And, 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 the, and I live for one thing, to be controlled by the love of Christ. That every, my attitude is, I'm controlled. My, my operating system is I'm willing to, to do what Christ did, to go to great lengths, to risk personal loss and personal sacrifice uh, for somebody else's best. I mean, isn't that what God did for us? Isn't that what Christ did? He loved us, and he went to great lengths to, to, to do something for our best. I think we can consider love also then as an action, that, you know, we can have the motivation, we can have the attitude, but then there's the action of love, which is a selfless, intentional endeavor of giving uh, or giving to the cause for that best, right? I want that best. I, I, I'm controlled by, you know, I'm willing to do whatever it takes for that best. Then I'm not just willing, I actually try. <laughs> I put forth the effort, the sacrifice. Uh, I strive for that best for the other. Simple Bible verse that Jesus t uh, that God tells us about God's action. For God so loved the world that he gave. Right? He, he, he was motivated. He, I, I am love. You know, I, I'm willing to take the risk for their best. So he gave his only son. That whosoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life. God took action in his love. He didn't just tell us he loved us. He put it on the line. He gave his son. Then there's a love as a challenge. You know, we talk about love and we often think about love being this, you know, happy feeling and, and everything's cheery with love, but, but love has a, a difficult side. And, and, and so there is a challenge to love. Um, and, and I think the challenge, when we, choose, when, we, when we are acting in love, we're motivated, we have the attitude, we put the action of love, the really challenge of love is to look for the, to pr the pursuit of another's best with no expectation of return or reciprocation. We do it without expecting anything in return. For me, love as a challenge is probably one of the most difficult parts. Because of all that I don't understand about God, which is a lot, <laughs> um, the thing that I struggle to understand the most is unconditional love. It's really that, that I don't expect something in return because I don't know, and I'll just be honest with you, I don't know that I've ever given unconditional love in my life. 
Maybe. I hope maybe once or twice somewhere. But like, I love my kids, and I do a lot of good things for my kids, but I kind of want them to behave. You know? I kind of want them to do what I want them to do. And, and, And there's a part of me that thinks, the reason I'm giving you all these other good things is because I want you to behave. You know, we were talking in accord. We were even talking about our wives, you know, and we we're like, you know, I'll clean the floor, I'll clean the toilets. Don't ask me to dust, but I'll do everything else, you know. But I want her to be happy with me. I want her to respond with a hug or, a, a, you know, a pat on the back or thank you, honey, or something, right? You know, if she walks in, if I've, if I've cleaned the entire house and she walks in and doesn't notice it, I'm like, so what'd you do today? You want me to tell you what I did today? Let me tell you. Let me explain. Here, let me walk you through the house and show you all that I did. Right? That, that in my little heart, I do expect some kind of reciprocate, at least notice. A, a simple thank you would be nice. We do mission acts, right? We go out in the world and we give food away and we give Bibles away and we, we give and we minister and when we do that, we like, we expect you to come to church. You know, we're doing this, but we want some reciprocation for what we're doing. We're, we're expecting, you know, a prayer. We're expecting, you know, to show up in church. And all, you know, once a month, we'd be happy with that, right? The idea that God gave himself, knowing who we are, not really expecting reciprocation, you know, unconditional love blows me away. Look at what it says in Psalm 14, 2 and 3. It says, The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there's any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. It's that group of people that God gave his son to be a sacrifice for. Those who aren't looking for him. Those who don't care about him. Those who are corrupt in their mind in every possible way. Those who think very little of him. Those who have nothing to offer to him. It says our good deeds are nothing but filthy rags. Not only does there not respect anything, there's nothing we could give to him anyway. And yet he loved us and sent his only son. That just blows me away. Because love can be a challenge, to love that way where you're just giving and giving and giving and never expecting anything in return. That is the truest, in my opinion, form or aspect of love, that unconditional and maybe the largest challenge we face in loving. But that's not the only kind of negative side of love. There's one more, and love is a danger. Anyone who has ever... Uh, loved someone and it not be reciprocated understands the danger of love because you put yourself out there right I I want your best you expose yourself you open up your heart and there's always the chance they're going to say no thanks right and that hurts and 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 every time we offer ourselves to somebody else or we extend ourselves in love we face the possibility of rejection 
And you can never love someone without risking rejection, right? And that's the danger zone. And there's a lot of people who decide never to love anyone because they're not willing to walk in that danger zone of rejection. Better off just to protect myself, turtle up, and live a life rejected and never love because the pain is too great. And so we have to understand that that we can have the right motivation. We can have the right attitude. We can have sacrificial actions for other people, right? We can face that challenge and say, look, I don't want anything in return. I'm just going to do this for you. And they can still reject all of that. And that hurts. And that's painful. And I think God experiences that on a daily basis. The figures are for Pennsylvania, South Jersey, is that there's 14 million lost people in Pennsylvania, South Jersey, our state convention. And that means about every four and a half minutes, someone dies without knowing Christ in Pennsylvania, South Jersey. And I wonder every time that someone dies and doesn't know Christ and hasn't accepted Christ, if God doesn't feel that pain of rejection. I wanted the best for you. I, I, I I'm motivated by the best for you. I've taken actions for the best for you to give you a hope and a life, you know. And I really don't expect much in return. Just accept my love. Accept what I've done to you. And they reject him over and over and over. And he feels the pain of that rejection every time someone dies and goes to hell. And so if we're going to love like Christ, we have to face all of that. John 1.11 tells us, the true light which came, which gives light to everyone, has come into the world. This is 9 and 11. I'm going to get to 11. Uh, came into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Verse 11, verse John, John chapter 1, verse 11. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. He was the light of the world. He came to his own people, and they rejected him. He took and faced the danger and received the same rejection that we do. And so when we talk about love, it is so much more than a feeling we feel when we have a feeling like we never felt before. There are, we need to be motivated. It needs to be the attitude of everything and of why we do what we do. It, it has to be followed up with actions. We have to do it, face the challenge of reciprocation and brave the dangers of rejection. I ask you this question, can you make someone love you? There have been those who have tried, and the fact of the matter is, you can't. You know, what, what, if you, what if you hold a gun to someone's head, right? Can you make them love you? You can get them to say it, but they may not mean it, right? What if you offer them a million dollars and say, hey, I'll give you a million dollars if you'll just love me? You want me to tell you what, if you offer me a million dollars to love you, you want to know what the next words out of my mouth are going to be? You want to guess? I love you. <laughs> I'll even tell you I mean it. I mean it. Now, here's my bank account. Because we can try to coerce people. We can either threaten them or reward them. And they may say what we want to say. They may even act like we want them to act. But how do you ever know that was motivated from something other than fear or greed, right? You, you can't make someone love you. There, there, there is a choice act of it. And, and I'll tell you, you, you just can't force someone to love you. And, and I tell people this all the time. I, I've said that, that words in a lot of marriage counseling, you know. 
You can do everything right, but you can't make another person do what you want them to do. They have their own life, and they have their choice. So love is a bit of a choice, but, but love is more than a choice. <laughs> it, it, it is a choice, and we play an important role in that. You know, uh, you can't force someone's hand, and, and, I, and, and I think there's even things, we struggle sometimes with the fact that, that God may have limits. But, but the Bible seems to be clear that there are things that God cannot do. Second, Titus chapter 1 verse 2 says he cannot lie. Uh, 2 Timothy 2.13 says he, it, God cannot deny himself. And so he can't do anything that, that is beyond or, or different than who he is. And if God is love, then, and he can't deny that, well, there's nothing God can do that's unloving. So everything that God does is motivated by love and has an attitude of love and is from the heart of love. I even believe actual creation itself. It's an act of love. And the great question that God first asked Adam and Eve in the garden when he puts the two trees there and he forbids them to eat of one, it's really a do you love me question. Do you love me? Do you love me enough to just do? Because I want the best for you and I've told you what's best for you. Do you love me enough to trust me? And he asked that question of us all throughout creation. But I don't think he will force us to do that. I think we have a choice in that. But, and so that helps us understand what Tozer said. When, uh, you can will to love people, but love is not a feeling. Love is a willing. And the Lord says for us to love people. He did not mean for us mere, merely to feel love for them, but to act in love, to, to choose to love them, to do what's best for them, that personal sacrifice, right, that we put action to with no reciprocation and even face the danger of rejection. But I think about love as more. It is a choice, but it's more. It's also an empowering <clears throat> the illustration I think about is love is kind of like the light in your kitchen, right? You go and you have this light, and love's the light. Our choice, our action to love is the switch, huh? But the switch is no good if it's not hooked up to the power company. I can go over there and flip the switch all day back and forth, and unless there's power in the circuit, the light's not coming on. And, and we're called to love in such a radical way. That, yeah, there's some choice, there's some actions, there's some decisions we need to make to love, but we need to be empowered by God to do and love His way. Because the list is almost impossible. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, it says this God's calling His people to, to, to a relationship with Him. And in verse 6, it says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul uh, that you may live. And so the love that God wants us to have for him and have for others needs to be empowered by God. That the, the Spirit of God needs to come on us. And that's why I say I think the only way we're going to ever see the kind of love described in 13 is a bunch of people empowered by God to love that way. Because the list is crazy. I mean, look, look at the components of love described here in, the, in these verses. Love is patient, kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not arrogant, it is not rude, it does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice with wrongdoings, but it rejoices with the truth, it bears all things, it, it uh, believes all things, and it hopes all things, and endures all things. I mean, that's a pretty healthy list. Right? And you're supposed to do that as a Christian, as a disciple. We're supposed to love all people at all times in all those ways. 
Y'all are some great people. But all of that to all people at all times, we're going to need some help. You know, we talked about last week just, you know, the seven kind of different strands, right? In that last week it was compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, and above all that, wrapping it up in love. That kind of love is beyond us. We can hit pieces of it and parts of it along the way for people we really like. But when we're supposed to do that for all people at all times, our enemies and pagans and everybody else at all the time, on every moment, we're going to need some power from above. We can make a lot of choices. We can partner with God, but we need the Holy Spirit to work in us. Because the truth of the matter is the love that's described in the scriptures is far greater than the sum of all its parts. I mean, I think you could probably do a lot of that stuff. Be kind and compassionate and bear things and love things, you know, be patient and, and don't, don't be a braggart and don't be envious. I mean, I think you could put a lot of those parts together and still not love like God loved. That we would still fall short even if we put all the pieces together, that we need something beyond ourselves. And so I want to talk to you today about our active discipleship. On the front pew, on both sides, is an expressing love uh, checklist. It takes every one of those components that are listed there in 1 Corinthians 13. Patient, love is patient, love is kind, love is not jealous, love is not arrogant, love is not unbecoming. And it breaks it down into other verses in the scripture that describe what that means. I don't have time to study every one of those today. But if we're going to really love and try to be challenged by the love, I'd encourage you to, one, come get one of these studies. Two, uh, so, the, so get it and study it. Read the passages. Study what it means to, when it says love is patient or love is kind or love is not arrogant. To see what the Bible says about those. Take time to study about those things. Then answer the questions. Look in your own life. Actually evaluate yourself and say, I don't do that. I do do that. I don't do that. I do that. I do that. I do that. Ooh, I struggle there. And just examine yourself and to see how much biblical love you, exp- you really do express to others. That's, that's a, you're a sure part of your life. And then pray and repent. Pray to repent of the areas that, that you're like, hey, I found a weakness. Lord, I, I need to be more patient. I need to be more kind. I need to not insist on my own way so much. Whatever it is, you're fine. Repent of that. And then invite the Spirit. Help me. Help me in this area. Invite Him. Say, God, I want to love people better. You know, I want to be more like you. And I found an area where I'm a little weak. Spirit, I need your empowerment. I need your help to live as you've asked me to live in that way. For those of you who are online, you're going to have to email me or call the office and we'll mail you a checklist. For those of you who are here, if you're really willing to do that, this, being a disciple is not something we can passively do. You're going to have to walk down front and pick up one on the pew. I'm not going to put it in the back, and I'm not going to put it in the back hoping that you'll pick it up on your way. I'm going to make it difficult for you. All right? You're going to have to make a choice, a decision to really look at how you love people, and if you love like God's told you to, and walk down front, get the list, do the study, answer the questions, and then pray about it. 
I think sometimes we have to put our discipleship and our, and our action, we have to put action behind our discipleship and not just hear uh, the Bible preach, but actually try to live it. And I want to close out this last passage. So we've seen love is primary. We've seen the components of love, and you have the opportunity to study that much, much deeper, which I would encourage. Uh, Take a week, take a month, take however long you need to study and understand what you've been called to as a loving disciple, as a conduit of love, an ambassador of love, a representative of God's love in this world. And then finally we see that love, the, the endurance of love. Simply in verse 8 it says, love never ends. Prophecies, they go away. Knowledge, it passes away. Prophecies, we, we see in part, and everything we do is, is partial, right? Uh, our greatest accomplishments are just a partial accomplishment of what's really going on in the world. And there's coming a time when God will come back and we'll understand all much better than we do now. But now, uh, now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest is love. And so uh, we need to understand that love, just n- it, n- it never ends. And so one of the truths about love, if you really love someone, if we're really going to love people, it doesn't give up. Love doesn't give up. There have been too many, and there's probably not a better example of this in our life, in our world, than mothers praying for their children. I actually talked to a mother just last week who's been praying for their kids 50 years or something like that. I don't know, maybe longer. And they're now getting baptized. You know, a lifetime. A lifetime spent praying for a child. Why? Because they love them. It it stays the course, right? It never gives up. Love never ends. And so throw out the window. If you ever hear anybody say, I used to love, or I fell in love and I fell out of love, you can say, you never loved in the first place. Because love never ends. And there are people who have been rejected who still love other people and they bear the scars of that kind of never-ending love. That's truth. But it doesn't give up. It never gives up. However, love does allow others to choose, right? It gives them the freedom to reject them, right? In that, back in that uh, passage in Exodus chapter 30, down at the end of that chapter in verses 19, it, it, God says to his people, he says, look, I've laid before you blessings and curses. You know, choose today what you will do. He said, I'm motivated by love. I've done everything I can to provide for you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Now decide if you're going to reject me or not. And so we have to understand that love frees up people to make that decision, to choose whether to accept it or reject it. And God gives us that choice. So what do we do if they choose poorly? <laughs> what does God do if, he choo- if we choose poorly? What has God done when we did choose poorly back whenever that time was for us? He continued to love. 
And so in the coming year or so, as we move into other phases of our 3D disciple journey, as we start to display God's love to our community and to the world, as we start to deploy into people's lives and talk with them about the love, and, and we show them love, and we're motivated by love, and we have the attitude of love, and we're willing to take risk for them and, and, and put ourselves out there and share our life, and they reject us, we're going to have to keep loving. We can't give up. Because there's lost people in our community that are breaking the heart of God because they're dying without him. And so we got to run the same risk and get out there and love the world. Really love them. Want the best for them. Be, be motivated by that. To, to be willing to make sacrifices to, to share that love with them. right? To put that into action. Not just sit here and talk about it within these walls. But get out there in the streets and do what we can to love others. To face that challenge and say, hey, look, I don't really expect anything but you to let me love you and face the danger that they may reject us. But maybe, just maybe, that the Spirit will go before us and he'll connect with some people and there'll be people who go, all right, I'll accept the love of Christ for myself. And then that day we'll rejoice along with the angels in heaven because one realized what great love that for God so loved them that he gave his only begotten son. Maybe that be our attitude and our call as we go and live and love in this world.